Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, Christianity, some of y'all have been lied to and robbed and abused in church with religion. And, and you just need to be set free from that stuff. Some of us still carry this view of God that's like, God is making my life difficult because he needs me to learn some lessons. I'm gonna, I hear that cow mooing already, and I'm coming after him to kick him over. Medium rare on his sacred cow. How do you like your sacred cow? <clears throat> because the gospel, Christianity, more than anything, is a declaration of what Jesus accomplished. Amen. Christianity is not the set of rules that you have to keep to make God happy. Amen? Amen. It is a response to what Jesus did. Jesus, you came here, you lived perfectly. I'm a joint heir with you. You took upon yourself the eternal punishment for sin that I couldn't bear. I'm a joint heir with you. You died and went into the grave and conquered death. I'm a joint heir with you. You rose from the grave and offered your blood in that eternal place, and it's righteous, and I'm a joint heir with you. And then he offers us the righteousness that he earned. And what do you say? Yes, thank you. That's Christianity. Everything else is, okay, now I want to stay focused on that. Believe that. Believe the gospel, and that is the power to empower me to walk out what religion has taught me that I've got to do to keep God happy. See, God's happy. That's why he sent Jesus. He's in a good mood, isn't he? He loves you, so he sent, he came here himself to take care of all the stuff that you couldn't so you could have a life with him. So when you wake up in the morning and you think about God or you think about what your life looks like and you start to factor in okay, what does Christianity look like in this situation? Whatever the situation is for you, you have to start from the place of he loves me. Jesus has conquered anything and everything that I'm going to face today. And to the degree that I stay focused on him, I can walk in the victory. Now, that doesn't mean that necessarily everything outwardly is going to be perfect for you, but you can be at peace as you're going through it. And there is a thing called favor. There are things called promises that actually affect those things that you're walking through and dealing with and struggling with. Jesus already conquered them and shares the victory with you. Amen? So Christianity, more than anything, is a declaration of what Jesus has done. Your life is to be lived as a declaration of what Jesus has done. Not... How do I get God to show up and come into my life? It's, no, this is what Jesus has done. I'm going to choose to participate in that. You see the difference? It's a big difference. But fundamentally, when you can make some of these shifts, you begin to realize, I'm not trying to keep God happy with my performance. God is not displeased with me when I don't get it right. He knew that I wouldn't get it right. That's why he sent his son and because his son got it right, then I can enter into what he has accomplished. And then you are empowered to live well beyond what you ever thought you could experience. 
not so that you get your Cadillac, but so that Jesus gets what he paid for. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's all right to have things. It's all right to be ridiculously financially blessed, but not as a result, not as an, a proof of your spirituality, but just because God is into blessing people, isn't he? So we start from Jesus' victory when we face anything. When you face finances, when you face needing healing, when you face stuff going on in your marriage, when you stuff, stuff face with your kids, <laughs> something like that. Every situation, Jesus is present, and there's a victory for you to experience. There's a battle that he's already won, and there's wisdom that he will give you of how to walk in love and walk in life in this situation, regardless of what the other person does. That doesn't mean that he's just going to magically fix everybody in your life. Wouldn't that be nice? Don't work that way. They have to walk in faith as well. So we're talking about faith and obedience. This is week two. Let me just review a little bit of what the definitions are, and then I'll go into. See, because some of y'all have been taught that you have to obey to please God, right? And that's true. How many of you want to obey God? Yeah. All right. How many of you think you're not doing a very good job of obeying God? Why? Why do you think that? I did this last week, but there's a lot of new faces in here. Why do you think you're not doing a good job of obeying God? What does obedience mean to you? Let me read you a couple of definitions. Obedience is the root word for the word faith, which is the root word for the word believe. So you get all the way down to the bottom, and it's about obedience. But look what the definition of obedience is. Are you ready? It means to be persuaded. Now think about these for a minute. To be persuaded, to trust, talking about obedience, right? You don't think you're doing a very good job of obeying God. A bunch of y'all just waved at me and said that. To have confidence. To be induced to believe. I mean, really? I thought this obedience was all about my performance. I'm supposed to figure out what God's supposed to tell me to do, and I'm supposed to do that, right? I'm not doing a good job of doing. No. What you're really saying is, maybe I'm not as confident as I should be. I'm not being as obedient as I should be, but what I'm really saying is, I'm not as in faith and trust toward God as I should be. Now, see, here's the thing. A lot of times, our faith is misdirected. It's, I need faith to get healed. I need faith to receive a financial blessing. I need faith to figure out how to quit being a nitwit to my wife. I need faith to figure out where to go to get my car fixed. I need faith to find a job. It's like, no, what you need to have faith in is one thing, the finished work of Jesus. Because as you are confident in what Christ accomplished for you, then that puts you in this realm of being influenced by him where he leads you and guides you through all the rest of all the stuff that you're trying to get him to do something about. Does that make sense? See, faith is like the smooth lane versus the bumpy lane. You know, when they're working on the roads and they got the road all graveled up and it's like you're riding that bumpy lane. And you look over and like, oh, that looks like nice blacktop smooth over there. And you ride, you ride up and then, then it's smooth, right? 
I, it kind of made me think of Seinfeld. Any Seinfeld fans? You remember, you remember when Kramer adopted a mile and he changed the, wane, the lane widths? You ride in a Kramer lane, it's like, woo, I like this. It's nice and wide, you know. That's like what faith is. We can, you can either ride in that bumpy lane or you can bump on up to that smooth lane, but it is a choice. And I don't mean everything's going to be perfect. That's not the point that I'm making. What I'm saying is it's just changing lanes. It's a choice to go over into a different lane. Faith is a choice. But what we do is we wake up in the morning and we say, God, you need to prove yourself to me. Don't you see this problem? Are you going to do something about that? Have you ever done that? I mean, are you doing that? Maybe you did it yesterday. God, don't you see this problem? This is, don't you care? Would you please do something about this? That's not faith. That is actually disobedience. Because that is not being confident in what he's already done. Again, Christianity is a declaration of what Jesus has accomplished. Not you trying to figure out how to get God to show up and do something. Christianity is a declaration of this is what Christ accomplished. He was bruised for my iniquity. He was chastised for my peace. He bore my sickness so I could experience his health. It's, it's an exchange. So faith is to enter into that exchange. You're riding in that bumpy lane, you know. You're worried about your finances. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about your spouse. And you're choosing to stay in the bumpy lane. But faith says, you know what, I'm going to ride on up here. See, here's the thing. The spirit influence, the spirit realm walking by faith is not a mystical dimension that you have to figure out how to get into and get God to come out of and work into your life. It's right next to you. It's a choice. It's a perspective. It's a lane shift in your mind to say, you know what, I'm getting out of this bumpy lane. I'm riding in the smooth lane. I'm going to trust God. That means I'm going to get my thoughts in agreement with what he's accomplished. When an emotion rises up that is contrary to what he accomplished, I'm going to use it as a road. It's like you're riding down the road here, right? And there's the, here comes a road sign, anger. Or here comes a road sign, bill that you can't pay. What do you do? Do you keep steady or do you look at that sign? Because you know, y'all, you teach your kids, are you teaching her how to drive yet? Not yet. Not yet? Okay. <laughs> But when you teach your kids how to drive, you, look a, you're, you're look, you teach them to look ahead, right? Because what do you do? Oh, look at there. You turn where you look. What are you looking at? You are turning toward what you're looking at. That means you will begin to see everything else in the world through the filter of what you're looking at. God, I'm turning toward this. I'm turning toward this problem. I'm turning toward this issue. So I'm, I'm not even really, it could be a sin issue. I'm not, it's not, we, 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 man, we're so sin conscious in church, aren't we? You old sinner, yeah, quit sinning. Sin, 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 sin. I, I don't like sin. I think Jesus died to set us free from the strength and the power of sin. Grace is his capacity to empower you beyond your own ability to say no to sin. Sin kills, sin destroys. There's nothing good about it. It's never okay. But we're talking more about what do you expect in your life? What are you looking at as you live your life? I mean, it's a really simple message, but we're talking about faith being a choice. See, because he already 
conquered everything you're going to face. He was tempted. He was a man tempted in every way like you are without sin. He's won the victory. See, some of us, we just have to make these little tweaks in our mind about who we think God is, what the character of God is, how he operates in our lives. But I want to look at a few things here. We're going to go over to uh, John, what is it, John 14, John 14, 26, because Jesus talks about what it looks like to have God involved in your life after the resurrection. I love this because after the resurrection, did you know, did you know that Jesus appeared and preached to like 500 people at one time? In the early gospels that were being, the letters that were being circulated and the stories that were being told, they were validated by the, the, the people groups at the time that were hearing these stories translated. Like, in other words, there's validity to these early stories because you don't have all the documents coming out saying, well, that's not true, that didn't happen. There was confirmation because they lived in that time. To, there's so much validity to these stories just because, the, because of how many people witness what happened. But after the resurrection, he shows up and preaches to five people. I mean, 500 people, that's right, 500. <laughs> yeah, he's bouncing around, you know. I love that, you know, he just, and they didn't even recognize him. You know, you would think after the resurrection, here's, you would expect him to be like a flame or something, right? You know, flames coming off his head, and he's like angry, and he's got lightning bolts. But they didn't even recognize him after the resurrection, after he had ascended to the Father and been restored back to the state that he was before he came here. I, I, I so love that. I'm not trying to belittle or diminish him in any way, but it's like, no, he was there. He just wanted to be with them. He didn't make a big show about it, but he wanted to relate to them. You know, all the time he would say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So after the resurrection, he's getting ready to go up in the ascension, and he says, this is, it is expedient. In other words, this is the most important thing. You know, can you imagine? Here's the resurrected Messiah. And he says, this is the most important thing that could happen right now. You got your pen ready, right? He says that I leave. They're like, wait a minute, Jesus, you're leaving? Really? You just, you just came, you just got here. You just resurrected. I mean, let's go. Let's take, let's overthrow Rome. Let's take the king. Let's establish, let's restore the Jews, you know? That's what they're thinking. He says, you know what? The most important thing for me to do is right now, leave. Because when I leave, I will send the comforter. I will send you the Holy Spirit. I will send you an advocate. And he will be in you. And he will be with you. And my father and I will come to you and make our abode with you. See, before the new covenant... God couldn't live inside people. His spirit would only rest upon people for particular tasks, and then his spirit would lift off. But now the spirit of the living God, if you've said yes to Jesus, lives in you. Amen? Man, that's so powerful. But what, why? Why is it more important? Because if you didn't have the inner dwelling spirit of God, and Jesus was still on this planet, and he's walking around, you know, I've said it before, but I mean, that could have happened. He was here for, uh, you know, 32 days or something like that after his resurrection anyway. I mean, wouldn't that be neat? 
It's like, hey, Jesus is holding the conference in Atlanta. Let's go hear him preach. <laughs> Who? I mean, I'd want to go see that, wouldn't you? But he said even more important than that is he leaves and gives us his spirit. So this is why. Go to John 14, verse 26. <clears throat> but the advocate, or another translation says the comforter, He's a comforter. He's not, it doesn't say the disciplinarian. It doesn't say the angry father. It doesn't say the judge. It says the comforter. The comforter. The comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you, say teach me, all things. And will remind you of everything I have said. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's teaching you all things. He's reminding you what Jesus said. Now, when does he do that? How often does he do that? When you obey? When you give enough money? When you... What? When? How often does he do this? All the time. God, God is never silent. This is not a... This is not... This is not a dangling promise out there that you have to figure out how to do something to get him to do this. This is a big deal. Sometimes it takes a fundamental shift of how we see God. God is present. He lives within you. And what he wants to do is teach you all things. You feel like there's some things that you don't know how to do? The Holy Spirit is with you to teach you how to walk through this. So this is not about, okay, so how do I hear a voice? God, how do I get some information from your spirit so that I know what to do? That, that's what we translate this to sometimes, right? It's like, okay, now i got to hear a voice. Okay, if he's speaking to me, that means i got to hear something. All right, the truth is he gave you a new heart that knows how to hear him. And an obedient heart follows him naturally and effortlessly. But what I mean by an obedient heart is one that is in confidence towards him, one that is in faith toward him, one that is in agreement with what he has done, one that is yielded to what he has done, to what Jesus has accomplished. And as you are, you get the side benefit of you just follow God. You look around and you realize the, the blessings have been added to me, and all I'm trying to do is just believe that what he did is for me. Because you've done this. You ever tried to exercise faith to get healed? Mm -hmm. You ever tried to exercise faith to get bills paid? Yeah. I mean, what have you exercised faith for? When really, the direction of faith is in what he already accomplished. You see, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really pretty simple, but it's really profound. Let's keep going here on some of this. This is going to be Romans 4.20. This is talking about Abraham. Abraham was called to uh, show his devotion, to show his obedience to God by being willing to sacrifice his child. Oh, by the way, did Abraham actually have to sacrifice his child? Oh, okay. Did God provide himself a lamb? So what did Abraham actually go through? Did God actually put an external difficulty on him? Or did he ask him some questions and find out where he was in his heart? It's a big deal. It's a big difference. I mean, we think, you know, God's going to ask us to kill something in our lives. 
No, he just wants you to believe. He wants you to be confident toward him because he already knew what he was going to provide, how he was going to provide. But he had to get his heart to believe toward him. So this is talking about Abraham, Romans 4, 20, and I'm in the NIV. Abraham, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Going to the next one. Being fully persuaded that who had the power? To do what he'd promised. God. See, Abraham was fully persuaded in God. Right? We think, oh, look at Abraham, this great faith, right? Look at what he could do. His faith is so amazing. His faith is so strong. But his faith was in what God had promised. Our faith a lot of times, or lack thereof, or we think the effectiveness of our faith is in our own faith. Well, my faith's not strong enough. Well, okay, what do you mean by that? You mean you might just be looking in the wrong direction. You might be trying to ride down this faith road, staying in this lane of confidence toward him, focused on what he did, and you're just veering off. If that's what you mean, then I'm good with that. But if you think you don't have enough faith to experience the promises of God, you have believed a lie of religion. If you think you need to get more faith to get more from God, you don't really understand what faith is. Faith is not a commodity that you exchange performance to get more of from the kingdom of heaven. Faith is a choice. It is a perspective. It is a confidence. It is a persuasion in one thing or another thing. You can, you are, you're going to have more in your life of what you're persuaded of. And as you are driving down that road, you veer off of what Jesus said. You're more persuaded of that thing. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not just trying to give you some cute little illustration. I, I want to install something in your thinking to realize, because you're going to do this this week. You're going to be out driving around. You're going to think, am I in the faith lane? Or am I in the... So you prophetic people, you're going to take this literally. Y'all going to be in the right lane and the left lane. Which one's the, which one's the right lane? Which one's the faith lane? You're going to feel a bump. Oh, that's the wrong lane. I need to go over here. Because to the prophetic people, everything means something. Look at there. It's 1206. That means something. What does it mean? See, six is a number. You know, I, I poke fun at the. I'm actually, anyway, I'm going to keep on going. <laughs> He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise, but was strengthened in his faith. How was he strengthened? Because he was fully persuaded in what God had promised. See, we still have the lie of the devil all the way back from the garden that says, did God really say? Did God really say? I mean, do we, we, did, we thought we were past the garden, didn't we? That's probably the biggest thing that's still prevalent as a wedge between believers and God is that question. Did God really say? Can God really do? Yeah, yeah, you admit that he can, but will he for you? That's the question. Will he for me? And then here comes religion. Well, you see... The reason it doesn't happen is because of this and this and this and this. And there's one denomination. 
Well, the reason it works for this one and not for that one is, and there's another denomination. And it's just like, he just don't do that anymore, and then here's another denomination. It's like, can we just believe God? Can we just have confidence in what Jesus did for us? Because what that does is it connects you to his spirit. It connects you to the manifestation of his power to do things in your life. I got a really complex way of describing how the spirit of God works in your life. It just works. <laughs> I'm telling you, we, we do it, right? You go, down to the, you go down to the bookstore. Seven ways to walk in the spirit. Twelve steps of how to hear the voice of God. I'm, I'm really not trying to knock that stuff. I'm just trying to make you realize you're in the will of God if you have Jesus within you. Now, you may not be walking out your call as accurately as you might like, but you are pleasing to God if you've said yes to Jesus. Your purpose is fulfilled. Your call might remain, but your purpose is to say yes to what he did for you. And Christianity is then not a bunch of steps and taking more classes to get more spiritual and get more holy and progressively get better and better and better, which usually is tied to how much we sin or don't sin, right? I'm not saying sin's okay, but it's about staying focused on Him. So let's keep going here. We're talking about how the Holy Spirit works in your life. We're talking about our part to be fully persuaded. Are you willing to do that? See, Christianity, again, as I started with, is a declaration Christianity, your job, your responsibility, one of your calls as a believer is to be an evangelist to the world. How many of you want to do that? And see, sometimes that's a heavy burden because we think, okay, well, I got to figure out how to witness to the Muslims. I got to figure out how to witness to the atheists. I got to figure out how to witness to a person that's been through this issue. It's like, no, you don't. Number one, the Holy Spirit will teach you and lead you and guide you in those kinds of situations. But here's what you are to do. Declare the victory that Jesus already won. The gospel is an announcement. Christianity is an announcement of what Jesus has fulfilled and is totally victorious in that spirit dimension, which will one day fully take over the created realm. But Christianity is not, how do I, how do I get... How do I interact with that stuff? It's no. I've, I'm already a winner. I'm perfect and sanctified and made holy because of his blood. Now, I want to live in that truth so that I am a witness to the world that shows people what a life looks like that Jesus has touched. But I tell you what, we need to be about the business of evangelizing to ourselves as well. I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle of being of persuading your own heart to believe, not to get God to then respond to you, not to make things true, but because it already is true and the degree that you are confident in it and stay focused on him, then you keep that connection open and the spirit of God just works in your life. I mean, I, I, you know, I hate to make it that simplistic, but to complicate it any more than that is to season a little bit of religion into it because it starts getting into what you're supposed to do and not do. As you stay connected in faith toward him, 
He influences you and his spirit has access. It's like that lane of faith right next to the bumpy lane. It's not like you got to jump on a plane and go over to Canada to get into that lane. It's right next to you. You just, you just change lanes. And so much of the lane changing is in our mind. It's in our heart. It's in our perspective. It's in what we're looking at. All right. <clears throat> so Romans 5. All right. Well, so how does it work? You were asking that, weren't you? Weren't you wondering? How does it work? How does it work? Romans 5. You can go ahead and throw that one up. So through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Man, I'm telling you, that's a mouthful. That, that, is, that is a six-week course in and of itself. This phrase here, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I'll tell you what these words mean. Hope is a confident expectation. All right? So we're boasting in a confident expectation of the glory of The word glory is the Greek word doxa. The word doxa means view and opinion. It does mean splendor and brightness and majesty and glory and all that stuff. But more than anything, you look it up, the very first definition of the word glory is view and opinion. So we are boasting in the confident expectation of the view and opinion of God. The way God sees it. What does God see? God sees Jesus as already victorious. God sees Jesus as perfect. If you are in him, he sees you as perfect. Does that mean I can do whatever I want to do in sin? Well, you could. That's not going to get you. You might see him sooner. You might, <laughs> you might have some difficulty, a couple of divorces racked up and a couple of lost jobs and maybe your children are a wreck. And, you know, you can have as much as that as you want the fruits of sin, or you can stay in that faith lane toward him. And we're not talking about the kind of person that you are. We're talking about what are you focused on. See, the way that this works is faith accesses grace. Grace is this. Grace is a divine influence on your heart. Grace is a capacity beyond your own. Grace is not just a doctrinal point of the new covenant. Grace is an active influence between you and God. It's like what Jesus described in John 14. He will lead you and guide you in all truth. He'll tell you what the Father is saying. He will bring all things to remembrance. He will teach you all things. That is grace. That is the function of grace in action. God influencing you. God teaching you. God leading you. That is the way of grace. That's what grace looks like in action. So the way you access that is by faith. Faith toward him. And what is faith? Faith means to think to be true. Like Abraham was fully persuaded what God had said. So let me ask you, regarding your particular situation, what has God said? Find you a promise. Is it your health? Is it your finances? Is it your relationships? What is it? Is it? wanting to live out and fulfill your call? What is it? What has God said about it? And are you standing on that? Well, you're just telling me I'm not doing good enough. No, that's not what we're talking about. This is not, I don't want you to walk out of this place thinking, well, I'm I'm just not doing a very good job. 
No, this is an invitation for you to just simply respond and say yes to what he's already accomplished. Your job as a believer is to believe. (laughs) Right? To say, yes, I look at what you accomplished and I agree. I agree with that. I agree with you meeting my needs so much that I don't even notice this bill anymore. My emotions are more in agreement with what you promised in your word that you are my provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. Yes, I've got this bill. I'm not denying that reality. But which one is more real? Which one am I going to drive toward? Which one am I going to look at when I'm saying that I believe God? See, a lot of us are willing to believe God, but are we actively driving in that faith lane? Are we actively choosing faith. You're never in default. You're never in neutral. You're either in going one way or the other. But what we do is we wake up in the morning and we say, again, God, you do see this problem, right? Could you please do something about that? The Bible actually calls that disobedience because it's not a choice to believe that he already has acted. It's a choice to believe that he's not doing anything. Oh, is that amen or oh me? All right, let's keep going. 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to talk about Paul. Don't don't put it up there just yet. Let me kind of see where we're going. Paul, you know, killing Christians. Paul has this incredible encounter with Jesus and is all in. I mean, to the degree that he would die for this cause, that, he, that it changes everything about him. Paul gets to this point. You ever heard a teaching about Paul's thorn? Paul gets to this point where he's got this issue in his life, and he begs God to do something about it. Now, I might, this might be another sacred cow that I'm going to kick over here because, you know, some of you are like, mm, I'm not so sure, but I'm telling you, Listen for a minute. I'm going to read some passages in this, but I'm going to just talk about the ones before it. Here's your homework. Go home and read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in light of what we're about to talk about here. See, Paul describes what's about to happen. Paul says, I was given a messenger of Satan. Okay? So who was the thorn from? Satan? Satan? Or God? Okay, from Satan. And he says, The messenger was given to me lest I be exalted, essentially because of the revelation that I'm walking in. Mm -hmm. Now what we've been taught is that God humbled him before he got too high and mighty in his own thinking and brought him down a few notches. You ever been taught that? Who's the messenger from? Okay. So, the messenger from Satan, here's what's really happening. Paul's walking in such a degree of revelation. I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the Bible. He's the guy that God called to reveal the finished work message to the world, to his world, and then write these letters that we still live by today. Paul is walking in such incredible revelation, such incredible power of preaching the gospel and, and communicating this to the world his known world, and people coming to Christ by the thousands, Satan didn't like that. 
So because of the kind of revelation that Paul was walking in, here comes Satan to enter an issue because of the degree of the power of the gospel that he was walking in. This is not God saying, watch out, you're going to get too high in your mind. This is the devil watching going, this guy's dangerous to my kingdom. We need to do something about this. I need to go trip him up a little bit. So the messenger came from Satan because of the revelation that Paul was walking in. Again, go back and read that, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then he gets to this. Paul does get a little bit tired of the problem, right? Yeah. You ever been tired? Yeah. You get sick of stuff? Watch what, God, watch what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, whichever one I gave you, 8. That's a little bitty 8. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three times, I, and the word pleaded means begged. You ever beg God? God, would you just please do something? Three times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, some of you have been taught that God is saying no. You ever been taught that, essentially? It says, God, take it away. God says, no, you need it. You need it because I need you to be weak. You need it because in your weakness, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to knock you down a few notches, make life difficult for you so you'll listen to me. Really? I don't think so. Because you go through Proverbs, that's a description of how fools learn. God is a wise teacher. He teaches according to the principles of wisdom, not foolishness. Wisdom, the wise learn from instruction. The stripes are for the backs of fools. God is not treating you like a fool, trying to make life difficult for you so you will learn. He's teaching you by instruction. And as Jesus would say over and over and over and over, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So what he's saying here is, Paul, my indwelling power within you, my influence that lives in you, my influence that comes up out of our united spirit and into your heart that will teach you and lead you and guide you, my spirit that brings a capacity that is beyond your own strength is enough. Now, which one do you want? Do you want to stay in that bumpy lane or do you want this to influence you? Do you want to say, you know what? I don't need God to show up and do a miracle for me. I need to be submitted and yielded in my heart so I'm strengthened and I'm in confidence toward Him and I'm led through this situation. It's a personal thing that I walk through with God, not Him showing up and bailing me out. He might bail you out, but how long does that last? You find yourself right back in the same situation in a year or two. You don't need to be bailed out. You don't need a miracle. You need to be yielded to him in obedience from the heart so that you don't walk into that difficulty from the beginning or you have peace as you go through it. So what he's saying is, watch where he goes here. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's a very interesting way that he says this here. Christ's power rests on me. That's what we want, right? See, here's the thing. Christ's power is in you, but you want it to rest on you. 
It's in us, so we think he should just show up and make something happen. But that's not faith. That's sitting back and inactively waiting. God, prove to me that you love me. Prove to me that you actually do something about this. I'm not willing to change my focus. I'm not willing to change my prayer life. I'm not willing to change my emotions. I'm not willing to move in this direction. I'm just going to sit here until you prove to me that you are obedient, God. That is disobedience. That is not faith. Now, we may not be as bold as that, but that's what we're doing. We are inactive in our faith toward God, meaning we're sitting there waiting for him to show up and do something. And he's saying, look, my grace is sufficient. I've already finished the picture. I have already finished the work. I have already made you holy and perfect in your spirit. Now, exercise faith, meaning have confidence in that so that it begins to affect you and grows into your life. That's the nature of spirit. It's just spiritual. It's available, but you access it by faith. You just change into that lane. It's the the same lane. It's a lane that's already right next to you, that lane of walking in faith, that lane of being connected to spirit constantly, is you just change lanes, and it's a focus shift. Amen? And in that lane is when your heart is open to be influenced by him. If if you think God is out here and you're trying to convince him of the need in your life, you might as well be in that bumpy lane, right? You know, the one where not just the old blacktop, but the one where they have raked it and it's all gravelly and, you know, yeah. Change lanes. Change lanes. Now, what does it take for you to change lanes? And as you face these signs as you're driving, I can see it. I just, I just want to, I said this, but I want to reiterate it because as we're driving, there are signs that come, signs along the road. Our job is not to get distracted by the sign. Our job is not to see, oh, wow, would you look at that? That's over there. I think I'm going to turn toward that as a distraction. Whatever that is, whether it be the opportunity for sin or whether it be something that just distracts you off of staying in your, on your call. See, worry is actually an opportunity to trust him. He's not creating a situation so that you'll worry, so that you'll trust him. He's already finished the picture. Now, I, I, keep, I keep thinking about this, and I, I said it in the first service, but it's like this. You can pull that down. And, and prayers to Paris, I wanted to pray. We prayed in the first service, but we'll pray afterward. But my, my family and I were just in Paris about two months ago. I, I went, and we went to the... the, the The what? Yeah, that. And we went in this one room, and you walk in, and there's a Rembrandt. And it's a big, it's, it's, you know, it's comparable. I mean, it's almost, it's as wide as this blue area on the wall, another half this wall higher. You got three or 400 people in there looking at this thing, and it it is a masterpiece. This thing is phenomenal. I don't even remember the name of it, but you just stand there and look at it. It's like, oh, my gosh. You could look at one little section of it for an hour and not even really realize what the whole painting is about. My son loves when we go to museums, he loves the headphone thing, right, because he likes to hear what the stories, and he's telling me what they're saying, and he says, he says, look at this one. 
And you notice there's a little face right over the shoulder of this particular person in this painting. They think that that's Rembrandt. He painted, you know, and it's like, and, I, and I'm looking over here, and I, I literally have to look up. Oh, there, that, I see it. I didn't see it before. See, the finished work of Christ is the same. And we do it personally in our lives, but we also do it collectively as the body of Christ. God has finished the painting. But we're looking at one aspect of it and thinking, how do I get into that painting? And not even really realizing that it's completely finished. We look at one little spot. The body of Christ, what we do is we say, you know what? I'm looking at this evangelistic portion right here. Y'all are all looking at the wrong thing. And the prophets say, you know what? We're looking at this right here. Y'all all need to be prophesying. And then, and then the missionaries say, you know what? Y'all are all sitting in church doing nothing. Y'all need to be getting over here on the mission field. And we judge each other because we're all looking at different portions of the same finished picture. Could we just please let each other be each other and be the body of Christ? But personally, in your own life as well, you're trying to see the picture but you think it's still being painted. We're looking at that picture, not really realizing, man, this thing is finished. Let me, let me step back and take in what Jesus has already finished. It's just spiritual, which doesn't mean difficult, doesn't mean mystical. It's just in a different form. It's like energy. It has to be acted upon or received or given a catalyst to manifest through. It's like a conduit has to be, a connection has to be made so through that conduit, the energy can flow. That's just the way it is. That's the reason why some people experience this and some people don't experience that. So why this one gets healed, this one doesn't get healed. This one's connected, this one's not connected. Are you saying I don't have enough faith? No. I'm saying your faith is probably just looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at one thing not realizing that it's already finished. Your job as a believer is this, to believe on the finished work of Jesus, to believe that he really did set you free from sin, to believe that he really did raise you with him and made you promises that are beyond anything that you could even imagine, that you are hidden with him in God. Believe that. And as you believe those things, his spirit is connected and his spirit just works in your life. His spirit has good plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to bring you to a hopeful, good, expected end that he expects. That's what God wants for you. And he's given you his spirit so that you can stay connected and let him build himself into your life. But what we do is we change lanes, we start to worry, and we we stop what he wants to do. Well, but he's sovereign. He's in control. He could just make it happen. Oh, yeah? He actually gave mankind dominion over this planet. It's the reason why he can't just zap make things happen in here. He's holding to the promise that he made from the beginning. Our life and, our, and the world is predominantly in the condition that it's in because of what we've done to it, not what God's doing to it. The good stuff is from God. Stay connected. Stay in that faith lane. So what does that look like for you? Pick a situation. Pick a whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's something you can actively do. 
Rather than sitting and waiting for God to show up, you ever prayed that, God, show up? If you go to a church and they start their worship services and they start asking God, God, would you please show up and be with us today? Leave. Because <laughs> he's already there. Because you're there. And you know, I'm kidding, but... <clears throat> faith is a choice. You are either in faith or you are choosing to not be in faith. You are either being obedient from the heart or you are choosing to be disobedient from the heart, meaning you're choosing to not actively persuade yourself to be confident toward what he has finished for you. Do you see that? So, Father, I thank you today that our hearts are open, our spirits are open to receive this, and we make a choice to actively believe you, not to impress you, not to get you to respond to us, not to make things true, but so that we see the picture and we enter into what you have already accomplished for us. If that's your commitment, just lift up your hand. Just, just show him, yes, Lord, I want to believe what you have finished already for me. I am a joint heir with Jesus. I want to experience that. Amen. All right. Amen.